Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirk Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode two of the Grip City Golf Podcast. Andy Dirk Johnson, Eric Peterson hanging out with you. What's up, PP? Hey, man. Good to see you. We are doing this live. You are looking live from, from my new kitchen. <laughs> Looks glorious. Do you like it? How do you th- what are we having for dinner? I don't know. What do you want? I got some salmon, some chicken in the fridge. You know, got some stuff thawing. We could do anything you want. My dog's in the garage. He's probably going to bark at some point. <laughs> we got a little uh, adventurous, man. We're out on location for the first time. Does Look it, at us. I don't think it gets any more authentic than doing a random like setup somewhere. And the fact that it's in your kitchen it's is pretty l- awesome. Literally in my breakfast. So breakfast I got to tell you something. I'm, I was driving out here from the office. Our okay. office is downtown. And we've, we've recorded the first couple episodes at the 1080 studio. Yes, we so have. So this was a little bit of a drive getting out here it's a little deep yeah gives me some time to think about what we're about to do which sometimes is just content ideas but i also started thinking about why did dirt move out here in the first place i know you lived in milwaukee before i was a milwaukee guy so i started thinking like okay what's out here and i don't know maybe your wife wanted to live out here but then i was like i think persimmon country club is kind of close by so then before i walked in this is just five minutes ago i google (laughs) mapped from your house to persimmon country club it's I kid you not, seven minutes away. Is that? I mean, that had to have been at least a big part of the reason, if not the entire reason you wanted to move out here. It's about 75% of 75%. my reason. Yeah, 75%. Because we knew we were getting the deal at Persimmon, and I was like, I need to be close to a golf course. Amazing. And this was, I'm like, I, the second we came to look at this house, it was the first thing that I did was I searched on my so map cool. on my phone, like, how far away is this going to be? It's an awesome neighborhood. And I'm too. within 10 minutes of a golf course now. That's great. Right, that I can go play. Well, it's a really nice neighborhood. I don't, I mean, I'm an east sider, but I'm not, I don't get out this far often. And I'm so a little I'm deep. It's a little here. deep out in the, but we got horses for neighbors out here, man. Uh, but it's like, it's quiet. Yeah. I mean, it's very peaceful. Not bad, Certainly man. more peaceful than like inner city Selwood area <laughs> where like homeless people are going through your cycle bins. Sure. You got a little more chaos going on around you than I do. It's a little more loud, a few more cars driving through your neighborhood than I do. So yeah, we're doing this in my kitchen legitimately. I had the recording equipment today and Eric was like, hey, let's do, let's record. And I was like, all right, well, can you come over? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so here we are. We're recording in my kitchen. We're fired up. Hey, coming up later in this episode really excited for this Travis Schoen is going to join us he is the founder and the owner of Northwest Golf Guys and they do for people that don't know about Northwest Golf Guys first off you're going to learn about them in a moment but great local company the tournaments they put on are awesome I'm trying to incite you into playing in a tournament with me so maybe we'll make an appearance at one of their tournaments here coming up but that is uh, coming up here in just a few minutes but before we do this is our first podcast since the Masters. So let's let's recap it. I know it's, you know what, two weeks removed, but let's talk about it nonetheless because it's Augusta and it's the Masters. What did we make of it? Scotty Shuffler winning. Tiger Woods making the cut. What were the biggest things that stood out to you? I was watching on Saturday, and that's when Scotty kind of separated himself. You know, as we have mentioned previously, and I've long believed, the tournament really begins on Saturday, right? I mean, some say it's like the back nine on Sunday, but for the most part, like you can start to see, you can start to picture who might win starting on Saturday. And when Scotty started to kind of establish himself as someone who could legitimately win, I started thinking, and especially the media coverage after the round on Saturday, it was like, it feels like there's only two players playing in this tournament. It was Scotty Scheffler and Tiger. And it was such a weird feeling. And even when Tiger just captures so much of our attention, it still feels like there's a tournament going on and Tiger's just a part of it. Whereas the storyline around Tiger with this time, 
it was so strong and, and such a surprise that he was playing. And then you had Scotty Scheffler, who was playing so well coming in, that, and he was then dominating, basically just continuing the momentum he had built up leading up to the Masters. And Crazy run. That it, it felt like watching Saturday, and, and more so on, on Sunday, too. There was some weird stuff that happened Sunday, but Scotty Scheffler, never, it never really felt like it was his tournament that he wasn't going to win. And it, it was just kind of interesting, to, honestly. Like, that was my biggest takeaway from the tournament was that it felt like it was just a two-man show. It, re- it felt like Tiger Woods was even the headliner over Scotty Scheffler, who's the number one player in the world, and had just won his third tournament in, what, five starts or whatever the yeah. numbers are now. The back-to-back winning at match play and turning it into a win at Augusta. Like, that, does, you have a lot of guys that go into the Masters hot, and it doesn't always translate. Like, it felt like for all of them, the Masters pools that I was in, it felt like too trendy of a pick. Like, I can't take Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. He's too hot. Everybody's going to take Scotty Scheffler, and I stayed away from him. I put money on all sorts of other guys, and I yeah. never gambled on it. But I think to your point on Saturday and Sunday, it, 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 at times it didn't feel like it was competitive. Yeah. He tried to make it on 18. Cam Smith got off to the great start the first two holes. You're like, uh-oh, here we go. And then he lost two strokes on the third hole, and just like that, it was back to a three-shot lead. I honestly feel like the headliner from the weekend, and really outside of maybe three or four guys winning the tournament, the headliner still would have been Tiger, but that was the bigger deal. And then him in the post-round interview, as Scotty's starting his round, he's committing to playing in the Open Championship. Now all of our minds are running about what other tournaments he's, is he going to be in, and you know maybe maybe we'll see him at Southern Hills at the PGA next month. But a place where he won when he's it was won, there last time, right? So I just that to me was, and I don't mean any disrespect to Scotty Scheffler. He's an incredible player. He's the number one player in the world. But to have Tiger make the cut and to finish, I know the numbers didn't look great on the weekend, but to have that Thursday round where there was a brief moment you thought, holy crap! Is this guy going to do this? Like, this is nuts. That, to me, was the number one story. Well, and if you remember, like, going into the week, or I guess maybe, like, the week or two before, people were wondering, is he going to play? And I think if you were to pull 10 guys or 10 people, nine of them would have said, he's not playing. There's no no chance. Maybe all 10 of them, right? None of us thought he was even going to (laughs) play. So then he shows up, and it's kind of a teaser. Like, is he here just to kind of, like, give Nike some juice? Like, are they, like, making him be here to kind of show up? And then on Wednesday, he'll say, I'm sorry, I can't play. I I was in that boat. I thought that it was just kind of like he's there trying to just, you know, give it his best shot, go to the champion's dinner, you know, shake a few hands, kiss a couple babies, and then be out of there. <laughs> Launch a Bridgestone commercial. And then when I, yeah. So then when I heard that he was actually going to play, then it's like, oh God, is it, like, what if he shoots 40 on the front nine and he's in pain? Granted, he did shoot 40 on the front nine when he won in 97. That he did. But, but still, like, it's obviously a much different situation now. My mind went into, okay, he's playing, but is he going to be competitive? And, then what did he shoot the first day, 71? I think it was one under on Thursday, yeah. yeah. And the and leader so, was three or four. He's a couple shots off the and lead. And then you're like, oh, my God. Like, what is what is going on? <laughs> and then he made the cut, which was, you know, as we as we sort of go through the, like, how crazy this was, it went from he's probably not going to play, he's on site, but we still don't think he's going to play, he's going to play, but we don't think he's going to make the cut. <laughs> and then he made the cut. So <laughs> it's like right. we've gone down a lot of layers yep. here. And so a lot of people have already said this, but – he exceeded, I think, all of our expectations about what we thought was going to happen and what totally. we got out of him. I think the best thing about it, too, is it, it, it made you realize the game is still there. And, I, you know, who knows what his future is and how healthy he's going to be and how many – I mean, a, a lot of people have made the Ben Hogan analogy, like that's what his career is going to be, six to seven, maybe eight big tournaments a year, and that's it. 
But he showed you on Thursday and Friday, like, he's still got it. The Saturday conditions were brutal for everybody. Yeah. Scotty was just, as you mentioned, the only guy that survived it and somehow built that big lead, putting on his vest every other hole and <laughs> taking it off. But not <laughs> zipping it up. <laughs> exactly. They're taking it off before he shot. He was just the guy that survived it. And then, you know, Tiger just kind of collapsed on Saturday a bit. And he was limping a ton at the end of the round. But to see that the swing is still there, the feel is still there, like, I don't know, it got you excited for what's to come, and maybe it's Southern Hills, and if not, we'll see him at the home of golf at St. Andrews, man. What's your prediction? Do you think he'll play at Southern Hills? I do think he's going to play. I do, too. I think the competitive juice is now that he's scratching that itch again, yeah. I, it's too strong to pass up. I totally agree. Another, another major coming up next month. And by the way, for our picks, and this is why <laughs> don't ever listen to our gambling advice. Uh, you're, we, we did a favorite, a middle guy, and a back end of the pack guy. Those were, we had three picks on our last pod. You took Brooks Kepka. How in the world did Brooks Kepka miss the cut? He hasn't really been the same player like this year. He hasn't. Like the past 12 months, he just hasn't really had it. And I know he's been battling some, some injuries. But even when he was kind of going through some injury stuff last year, he still would – he would always bring it to the majors. Which Remember, he was itself, in the final group with Phil at Kiwa Island. Yeah, that's right. And so, like, he's kind of been getting through those injuries okay, and he just finds a way to bring it in the majors. And that's why I liked him. And I even said this. It's like – He's just one of those guys where if I don't pick him, he'll be there, and I'll look at that name and say, <laughs> Damn, of course he's right there. <laughs> Why, Why did I, I do that? And then I do pick him, and he misses the cut. So, yeah, that was kind of weird. <laughs> On that note, and we'll get to the other picks in a second, it's an interesting theory. I was talking about this with people a couple, uh, the, the, in the days that followed the Masters, but essentially we've seen so many young guys without any of the golfer scar tissue, if you will, they get off to these great starts in their career. And I think Scotty Scheffler is another example of it. Like his rocket launch to number one, winning the Masters, and what is it, his second appearance, I want to say? Not like he's been around a while. I, I always wonder, this is a question I ask the next time a new name comes up, can this guy, can, can he sustain it? Because we saw Rory McIlroy did it early, you know, little chubby Rory with his uh, puka shell necklace and the long hair. Yeah. That dude was unbeatable. Like nobody yeah. could touch him. And then even after he collapsed at Augusta, he still came back and won a couple more majors, I believe. He hasn't won one since 2014-ish, yeah. 15. I mean, it's been a long time. 14. Spieth, eight, same that's thing. That's eight years. Eight years, right? Spieth, same thing. Bursts onto the scene, wins a Masters, collapses in a Masters, wins an Open Championship, wins the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. We're going on how many years for him now? Yeah. You know, Justin Thomas did the same thing, winning a PGA. It's the only one we've seen him win. And that's the you – know, Kepka's right there where he was, it felt like, every major for the stretch of two and a half years, top five, top five, top five, if not winning it. Back-to-back -back U.S. Opens, a PGA championship. And you just wonder now, like, I don't, I don't want to overreact. He had a bad weekend. We'll see where the rest of the year goes. But that's my question for Scotty Scheffler is I've seen these young rocket stars that, you know, just launch into – outer space with the start of their career. Where does it go from here for Scotty? Because think, he's the number one player in the world, and he's, he is head and shoulders above everybody else yeah, right now. I totally agree. I, so to answer your question of, uh, about, like, can he sustain it, I think that those names that you mentioned, if I were to put a, a common thread on, on all of them, and that you see this in sports with just big contracts, you just lose a little bit of motivation. Totally. Because you've made it now, right? You're making good money, endorsement deals. They're calling yep. you saying, yep. oh, my gosh, we got to throw money at you. Sometimes you get married. Your priorities kind of change. So if you look at kind of the consistency among those names you've mentioned, I would, I would wonder, I'm not a sports psychologist, but I would wonder if that's a factor, is that they were playing with house money, like they've got nothing to lose in those early years, and they did pretty well, but then the plane sort of reaches altitude, and they're just not as motivated anymore. And – 
it's it's a bummer for us as fans because as soon as you see him win one, you want to see another and another because it's exciting. Right, and we have Tiger. I've been talking about Tiger. He's, he's the example. The he did it. Now yeah. we think everybody else should. And and that's why he's not a human. He's a super <laughs> droid. And I just think that that just furthers Tiger from everybody else in terms right. of what he does is just not normal. And it, yeah. you should never expect anyone to be that. Maybe and the I, expectations also, are unfair. Well, that's I was just going to say, like, I think that's part of it is that yeah. once, once a guy wins a major at a young age or wins a couple at a fast clip like say a Rory or a, a Spieth did that you expect them to do what Tiger did like oh he's the next Tiger so he's gonna go ahead and win and it just right. like reality sets in and again Tiger's not part of reality and so he's not that's not part that's not his deal whereas these other guys are human beings and so I think that's what happened so whether or not Shuffler um, falls in that same category remains to be seen I think he's great for the game of golf I love the way that he conducts himself I think that um, it's fun to see him hit shots. I think that he checks all the all the boxes. I'm a huge fan, and I'd love to see him keep doing well. The way he was just kind of dialed in down the stretch. I mean, even like you know, it, uh, the, the the topic I have was Rory, and Rory got it. What he shoot a 64 on Sunday, yeah, bogey free, tying the all time I believe record low. 63 is 63. Okay, yeah. he was close. One off. Uh, the chip in on 18. That was one of the best highlights we've seen in a long Amazing. time. Him and Morikawa doing it back to back was well, so cool. And Rory said that that was the most. That was the most thrilling single moment that he's had on a golf course. Was, Which, isn't that crazy? Considering the majors he's won, the moments he's had, he right. said that was it. Ryder his, Cups. His body and... gyrations when he threw his club out of the bunker <laughs> was pretty funny. He forgot how to celebrate for a moment. But the way Scheffler stayed dialed in, knowing that Rory was there, it just shows the mental fortitude he has. Uh, you took Joaquin Neiman. Joaquin Neiman, he had a pretty good tournament. <laughs> he tied for 35th. Uh, Van Royen did not make the cut, though. It, he, was it his pants? It was his pants. They yeah. were too tight. He needed to let them breathe. Uh, I took Tony Finau. I, Finau gave me a little hope Thursday, Friday. He was playing good. And then, as Tony Finau usually does, he faded. And then uh, my boy Tom Hoagie, top 40, baby. Made the cut. Top 40. Tom Hoagie. Look at that. So there, there's our Masters picks. And that's why you should never listen to our gambling advice. And if anybody has golf gambling advice and they try and sell it to you, don't listen to them because it's a Ponzi scheme. Nobody knows what the hell's going to happen in these tournaments. Nobody knows. Um, Can I right. just say one more thing about the Masters that Fire I enjoyed? Away, dude. One, one of my other big takeaways, and tell me if you thought this too, was how amazingly dialed the Masters mobile app is. It's incredible. And I started thinking about, well, obviously mobile technology is, is increasing and improving at an astronomical rate. And so it's, not, it's to be expected that it gets better every year. But I, there's no mobile app to me that you would want to use while you're actually watching the game. Normally it replaces it, right? So if I'm at my kid's soccer game... I can have my mobile app for a particular sporting event, whether it be college football or um, sure. um, NBA or whatever it is. But when you're home actually watching college football, you don't necessarily need the mobile app. I found myself with the Masters app, and partly because of the pool that I put together, and I have my picks, and <laughs> right. I want to like see other guys. You're tracking, yeah, somebody who's but, top, you know, fortieth because you want to see how he does on but, Sunday. And so, like, but you go in there, and not only is it really easy to to move around, but you can go and like if you see that that. Eric Van Ruyen just made a double. I can go and like within the snap of a finger, see the video of him hitting that shot. And it goes from shot to shot to shot, every single shot, every single player. And it's, it's one thing to have all that video content, but the way they organize it, the way it's delivered is just first class in another galaxy. I agree a hundred percent. I criticize quite often 
golf and the way it's televised. It doesn't make a lot of sense half the time, and you'll get tournaments that aren't on on half of a Thursday or half of a Friday, and it's I, if you're a fan of the sport, how the hell am I supposed to watch this? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Oh, we'll be on the Golf Channel at uh, 1130. Well, what about Rory and Spieth and you know Brooks and DJ? They're all teeing off at 7 in the morning. Let me watch them, and they don't have that outlet for it. The Masters has cracked the code. They have figured it out. And even that with the partnership at ESPN Plus, who I think I think ESPN Plus does a good job because a lot of people watch on that and you can go feature groups the broadcasters are Shane Bacon and um, you know they got a bunch of different guys on there that do a great job and, and that's how I watch most of the Tigers round honestly on Thursday morning I just they followed his entire round and there's no commercials and you're just going shot to shot showing them walk up the fairway like in that moment I didn't really care about anybody else the big cat's back at Augusta and that's all that I want to see and that's what they showed me so I think they've done a great job it's with a, that it's amazing and it seems like it gets better every year too it really does yeah they've, they've really progressed it and so uh, Shout out to the Masters app. They do it better than anybody. And shout out to the Masters. Look, it was a blowout. Scotty Scheffler ran away with it. Not a ton of intrigue, but it's still fun to watch because it's Augusta. Totally. It's Augusta, baby. And we'll do it again. And we'll do it again next year. All right, so we're going to get to a couple of the local angles. Uh, we want to talk about the LIV tour a little bit because nobody's talking about this. And the Saudi Golf League might be coming to Pumpkin Ridge the first weekend of July. So we're going to get to that coming up in a bit. But first, let's do this. So we like to have a, a, a kind of a feature interview on every episode. Really excited about this one. So we've gotten to know Travis Schoen over the years. He is the owner and operator of Northwest Golf Guys, one of the best local golf companies here in the area. And uh, ho- I hope you enjoy this. Here's our conversation with Travis Schoen, the founder and owner of Northwest Golf Guys. We're excited for this one, a local legend, a business empire builder, uh, our buddy Travis Schoen of Northwest Golf Guys. What's going on, Travis? How you doing, man? I am having the t- time of my life. Thanks for having me. Good, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. So let's, let's start. So I've gotten to know you over the years. I played in a ton of Northwest golf guide tournaments and they're fun. And we'll dive into all that and what, you know, people can get out of it and all the cool stuff that you guys got planned. You were teasing me with some of those Instagram stories last night. I was getting a little <laughs> excited about what's to come. I, I've never known though, like in talking to you, the backstory, like how did this come about? When did you get into it and how did you create it? Oh boy. Um, well, uh, backstory, one of the cliff notes or the full thing. Um, it's a podcast. Or. We can go, we don't have a commercial break. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so it actually started as a golf course review website. So really? we kind of, uh, this is take this back to 2007. Um, they're actually like the, like there wasn't a ton of information on golf courses in Oregon. Um, there was one specifically, it was this green page that had like one sentence that said, Hey, the, the course is kind of hilly and it's got some trees. Nice. And so, Thanks a lot. Yeah, it was pretty much it. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, a little bit uh, of grass out there, yeah, some grass, sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and so we started like, it was, I, I hate to say this, sorry, golf courses. It was kind of a hustle to get free golf. Uh, we figured out that if we wrote a little bit more about it and put better pictures up, we'd get free golf. Um, so this was just you or did you have a buddy that you did it with two other guys who were involved at the beginning and they're, they're no longer, you know, they got real, I guess, real jobs. Uh, and, and, uh, and it was early enough that, that, you know, this was kind of just an idea. So they kind of faded out and other, we've had other play, other people kind of help with it throughout the years. And, um, but that was what it was at first. It was a it was a website about golf in it basically in Oregon. And so, would you guys review them? Like, so you'd go and take pictures and and give more of an in depth review than like we were saying that like there's grass on the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was never. I mean, it was always. I I I've always had this philosophy that every single golf course is there for a reason. Um, you know, every single golf course is good. Um, some golf courses are designed to host 
championship events, and some golf courses are there so that somebody can take their five-year-old out there to hit a golf shot for yeah, the first time. That's right? awesome. So every so we always kind of focused on the positives. What does this bring you? Um, and there was a rating system at first that we scrapped after a while because, again, that just didn't seem fair. Um, and we never focused on the actual conditions of the golf course at the time because you never know when you're going to hit it. So it was all about, like, the layout and what it was there for. Yeah. Um, the experience, sort of. Exactly. And because, again, like, like you can't – you're not taking your 5-year-old or your 10-year-old to – pumpkin for the very first time they ever played <laughs> right, golf right like right. you're not i mean you can but um everybody's gonna be pissed at you if you do <laughs> right right oh and we'll get into that i, yeah. I could go off all day about that um but uh but yeah i mean each course is there for a particular reason and so that was the initial cool start. and so was it called northwest golf guys at that point yeah so wow. that's where the name came from um it was a South Park reference, actually. Uh, not many people know that, but uh, <laughs> what what was the reference in I South Park? Remember South Park? I'm not your buddy, guy. So that that's where it came from. <laughs> that was where the, the it was initially a South Park reference, and um, and uh, that was us. That was our names. We were the we were the Northwest Golf guys, and then it kind of that's where the name came from, and it took off from there. And then so you. you do that for a short period of time, and then when did you get into actually conducting tournaments? 2009. Wow. So in 2009, I started a handicapping club to save 20 bucks. Um, and <laughs> So basically, so for listeners that don't know how that works, so... I love this, dude. I love this. Can you explain this. the handicap system and how you need to be a member of a club and, and how the cost of it... Yeah, kind of- so we were a handicapping club... Um, or sorry, there were there were other handicapping clubs, and you usually have a men's club and a and or a, a women's club, um, and there's a certain amount of dues that are paid to the golf association, and then most clubs you either have the club, whoever runs the club, pocketing that, um, and or, apply it to like events at the or club. Or it goes to yeah. events. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, so we were a member of this club that no longer exists. Um, that um, and I was like, hey, I can do this for for less and so i started this club to save 20 bucks um and we thought we had this brand we had like 150 people a month coming to our website so we're like we got this this thing is huge we got a good following uh and that's and, like us dude in our podcast hey, we got go, like, we got like 150 that's right, people that's right. you gotta uh, start somewhere yeah exactly and we just thought we had this thing going right so we're like okay well let's start this uh i found out after i contacted the oregon golf association that I needed 25 people, so I just found 25 buddies. Um, the founding so members. The founding. There's probably I would bet there's five or six of them that still have not wow. have never left. Just do it every year. Just renew and every yeah, year. Still yeah. member. Um, and the first year we we threw this threw it on this website that we had, and and 65 people jumped on, and we were like, oh man, this is great. Um, and then, um, funny story that uh, side note that might actually incorporate you a little bit, Eric. Is that uh, we do this thing for a year, and the I actually didn't even know we had to run a golf tournament. Like the whole tournament thing happened because we started a club, and we're like, "Oh, we need to we need to run, host a golf tournament." So is that like a prerequisite by for the it OGA or USGA? I don't know if it is anymore. So but they say like, "Hey, you're a club. You have handicaps through this club, but you need to actually have tournaments." It was then. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, it enforced. makes sense. Yeah, it's not necessarily enforced, but in theory, you need to host events that can accommodate every single player, one of your players to play once. Um, 
And so I found out, like, we had to host a tournament. So I reached out to Heron Lakes. Was the Great Blue was the very first place uh, we ever hosted a tournament because we got to know the guy at the golf show that year. So I was like, oh, that sounds cool. We'll just call him up. And his name was Ross. Ross, shout out to you. Um, Ross Liggett. Ross Liggett. It was 100% Ross Liggett, yeah. I love that guy. He's a stud. Um, reach out to him, and we said, hey, we need to host a tournament. He goes, how many? I said, I don't know, 24. She's like, cool. I knew 23 of them. So it was just like 23 people that I knew plus one. I wish I knew 23 people that would want to play golf with me. That you could actually get on that day yeah. to show up and play I in mean, a tournament? Seriously. I mean, we had two mo- a two-month ramp up, but uh, I guess not even two months. probably a month. But uh, So that was your first tournament. Was first it tournament. the first Northwest Golf Guys mm-hmm. tournament? Was it yeah. Heron Lakes, Great Blue, yeah, 20, sh- 24 people? 24 people. You pro- <laughs> There's probably five bucks a guy and a player in the prize fund, and everybody got a free bottled water. That's like, amazing. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I love this. Yeah, and so the next, uh, then I was like, oh, man, we grew enough that we need to host another one. So we hosted a second one at Stone Creek. Uh, only two courses we've been at every single year since we since our inception. Um, and, again, that was on, like, three weeks' notice. It was a team event. We had 40 players. And, uh, you know, ramping back to incorporate you, Eric, uh, Golf Channel reached out to us the next year and said, how would you like to run the Golf Channel Amateur Tour? And uh, we were this close. We wow. almost did it. Wow. And actually, we're, it was so, uh, 2009. We're, I'm watching a Blazer game. It's Odin and Roy and Aldridge. And <laughs> the I'm glory days. With a buddy, and we're like, we should do it. And the next morning, I was like, I don't want to do it. I want to do our own thing. And so um, we didn't. We passed and um, decided to launch this eight tournament series with 65 members had no idea what we were doing very first event was at pumpkin ridge and a very first event the second year which is really probably the beginning of kind of the first kind official of the first year real year yeah um and we've been there ever since and we've been doing this this thing ever since and so that was 2009 right mm-hmm. so like 12 13 years ago out like a lot of times flying flown by since then yeah what like a lot of the members that that are members today weren't around in those early days. What are some of the things that kind of, as Dirt kind of mentioned earlier, like turned it into an actual business? Like, so you've got, you know, 65 people or 60 people, but was there a point at which you're like, okay, this isn't a side hustle anymore? At that point, did you have another job? Yeah, I, uh, I would say that I used <laughs> to call this my five to nine. So I had a nine to five and then golf guys was my five to nine cool um i tripped into it again um in 2013 i worked in real estate kind of i worked for a title company and um i i taught realtors and mortgage brokers loan officers how to market themselves online and there was this funky little bump um where interest rates went up so refis stopped and there wasn't any inventory on the market. It's probably happening now. Um, and so they decided they couldn't afford to teach to pay me how to, or to pay me to teach people how to use Facebook anymore. So uh, they asked me to start a new job or start a new company, and they would pay me when they needed me. I was like, no, that sounds like a terrible idea. I got this golf thing going already. Yeah, let's just give it a whirl. Yeah. So in 2013, I essentially started doing it full time and I've wow. here I am still doing it. Well, so on that note like we're talking about what 65 people those first couple of tournaments. How many members are you guys at now? Uh well, it's a moving target because <laughs> in different spots. So like we're we now run events in Seattle, Portland, Bend and the Bay Area. 
Um, we had about seven thousand members join last wow. year. Wow. Yeah. 7, so we start over. We in theory we start at zero. Yeah, you start the year. rolls over every year. Yeah, and then like different. There's different variables. The Bay Area is a rolling twelve month, where here it's and and in Washington it's every calendar year. So there's variables, but we finished last year with about seven thousand members. Now, is there any course in the area that you haven't been able to play yet? That you want to, and we can out them right now. Let's let's yeah, put sure. the pressure on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, most of them at this point are, are private. So right. we've we've been able to play a lot of great ones. Portland, Waverly, um, they're probably the the two. Um, Have you called them yet? I've talked to Portland a little bit. I've talked to Waverly, but barely. Um, the hardest thing I've ever Eugene is actually, to be honest, that's my number one, and we had it, and it just didn't work out. Oh. Um, uh, but I mean, they've agreed to do it, and then it just some things got in the way, unfortunately. But uh, that's, I mean, if I had to say target number one in Those Oregon, it's Eugene. Um, but we play, uh, I mean, we play Fazio, we play Witch, we play some pretty great private Willamette Valley. Um, well, I, t- I mean, I talked about it on the first yeah. episode. I think it's the best thing for people that if they don't want to join or if they haven't thought about it yet is getting a chance to play courses that you don't – like if you don't know a member there, yeah. I'm not a member there, I can't go play that course. Yeah, I mean we're at Tualatin in a week and a half. Astoria is one of my favorite golf courses yeah. in the world. We do that every year now. So, like, yeah, I mean it's – that's a huge part of it is being able to play private facilities as a one-off that you wouldn't have the chance to normally play. And yeah. the, the clubs, I would imagine, there's benefit to them hosting you so they can kind of – Exposed membership opportunities, right? Is that kind of what they see out of it? Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, uh, maybe a harder sell to some of the top clubs. But. Yeah, I call it like a graduation almost. Like when players, are, our biggest hole, like as far as like the the spot that, you know, we do really well young, which is relative in golf, but it's kind of an oddity for for golf. Uh, so like young dads, we do really well with. Um, kind of the hole uh, that we have almost is um, is. Uh, like empty nesters. So when like, the players who have played with us, then their kids leave the house and then they go join a club and then they come back to us later. It's kind of like, that's kind of our weird little like. Interesting. Yeah. Space because once you, if you play a lot of golf and you don't have kids to at home anymore, it's easier to, to be a member of the club. So um, absolutely. Like a lot of our players will play in these things and they'll, they'll join that club after. So, so tell me about, too, how this then turns into you build up this roster base, you're getting bigger and bigger every year, and then you open the Sim House. Yeah. Like, the, the thought behind that, because I've had a chance to – the facility is amazing. The bays are amazing. Like, it's such a cool place, and people need to go check it out. But, like, what was the the, the drive to want to do that, and how did that come about? Um, well, first of all, um, I mean, I have – like, my wife is exceptionally supportive of – Oh, I mean, she has to deal with a lot. And so, um, like, like never seeing you on weekends, you know, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I got a weekend coming that's, I mean, I've had some doozies over the last month and a half, and I got one coming that's, that's amazing too. Uh, but she was, I mean, in some ways, she was the driving force to this, that space, the, the Sim House. She found it. Um, she, I mean, I, I come to her with these crazy ideas all the time. It's like, hey, I got this cool idea. Um, and uh, and she found the space. She kind of designed it, so that's why it looks as cool as it does. Um, Zach, who you guys know, he's kind of been pushing this concept of um, of a simulator space for a while too. And really, I mean, it's it was part of it was getting an office um, for me. Um, I have a beautiful little five year old girl <laughs> who, during the pandemic, ripped on my 
pants every single time she heard me on the phone. And so I wanted an office. That was kind of the driver for me. But we also wanted a space that was so much – like there was so much more than just having an office. Um, was, we, we have 7,000 members, and we wanted to share a space with them. And so that was the kind of the, the idea behind the Sim House. Like mm-hmm. we have a whole space called the Member Lounge. Um, I don't care if you're here to, there to use a simulator. I don't care if you're there to spend prize money. <laughs> I don't care if you're going to the Adidas employee store and you have 30 minutes to kill. So you want to pop in and have a, a drink. Uh, we don't, we don't have a bar. Um, so I don't want to get that. Yeah, we no have, bar. Yeah. No bar. We don't, uh, but we do have stuff there and you yeah. want to hang out for 30 minutes. Come do it. Um, we wanted a space that we could share with our members and that was the big driving force behind the sim house interesting um was having that um then on top of that it's like hey let's have the sort of the two simulators in there we got tour quality equipment we went with foresight equipment because tour players are using it um so it's not a our, our focus is not selling beer and burgers it's game improvement and hanging out too, like it. It seems like it's a brand extension for you too. So, because you've obviously got Saturday Sunday lockdown, like yeah. people know where to go for Northwest Golf Guys. Then, yeah. but now the Sim House allows you to lock in Monday through Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So seven days a week you can eat, sleep, yeah. breathe. Yeah, speaking tug of on wife, Travis's pants. That. <laughs> do, do people do people really just pop in if you're there working yeah. on your laptop? Someone will just say, "Hey, I'm here to yeah. hit some balls." Yeah, totally. And not necessarily there. I'm here to hit balls, but more like, you know, hey, I you know I, I need golf balls like yeah. we have we have oh so you sell merch in there we do yeah so cool. we sell like our our branded stuff hats and balls and you know play we actually have like a t- we have a tailor-made fitting station and we'll have more um coming um but the, yeah you can buy clubs and uh, you can buy do you have enough space that we can set up a podcast studio Ooh, that's there? not a bad idea we actually yeah we'll, we'll talk we'll talk. get some shots in and you know in between <laughs> while eric's talking i'll go work yeah. on my eight iron a little bit sure. make sure i'm dialing in all my numbers correctly Absolutely. <laughs> so you guys so it's it's langdon this weekend which i know i'm saying this weekend we're taping this and it's not going to be out to next week so that's a dumb thing to do but you're, you're at langdon this weekend yeah, yeah. and it's, it's just crazy how and i want to paint this picture for people so they want to join in like the, the amount of money that you're paying to go in to play that round the prize money that comes with it, the chance for skins games. Like, so for those who don't know about Northwest golf guys, like how does that all come about? Cause I know my in-laws play in essentially every one of your tournaments. They are there every weekend yeah. and it's crazy. Like I'll, I'll hear from them at the end of the year. Cause I'll get to a handful every year when, Oh yeah, I'd have nothing going on that weekend. I'll come play. And they're bringing home like a hundred bucks, 150 bucks a week. Yeah. And they're like tracking their leadership numbers oh, and yeah. all that. So like, how does that payout prize pool work? Cause I think it's really cool for people to get the chance to play, tournament golf and Mm -hmm. to understand you know ball up ball down what's going out make sure you're dropping in the right place of just all that goes into it so how does how does that play out for you well uh, so a couple things there so first of all they also come to the sim house oh they're uh, they're nonstop. yeah they're they're wonderful they're moving Um, in (laughs) uh so there's a couple things that that we do that we're really proud of so for one there is no travis fund there's no golf guy fund built into your tournament so you don't pay us a fee to run a golf tournament Every single like the money that comes in either goes to the golf course or goes into a prize fund. Uh, so because we're able to do that, and because we are dry, I mean we have two hundred and forty eight players this weekend. Um, Wait, say that again. So <laughs> April, like end of April, what is this? Mid April. Yeah. And you're you have there's a golf tournament in Portland this weekend at Langdon Farms, and there's two hundred and forty eight people playing in it. Yeah, there's a wait list too. But yeah, yeah. Oh, I know they were texting me because I I couldn't because we just moved last week and I I didn't have time this weekend to play. They're like, hey, you better. This was like three weeks ago. Like, hey, there's four spots left. Hey, there's two <laughs> spots left. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't make it that weekend. Yeah. Uh, yes, two hundred and forty eight players tomorrow. 
So foursomes, three. I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked. Four, foursomes. Uh, we do. So what is that like? Sixty, sixty, some odd. It's a double. Times? It's a double shotgun. So it's a double shotgun. Um, there we do leave spots available uh, open for pace, so we don't oversell it. Um, it's something that we've been fortunate to to grow big enough to do. Um, so we generally try to leave four to six unsold te- foursomes, I guess, if you will. Because it helps with pace. That is the concern when you get really big and the and it's a scored event. Play the ball down. All, is it winter rules this weekend? I, think, I, probably, I hope so. Course, yeah, probably. Please, I think for the <laughs> yeah, betterment yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's a that could be a real concern, right? Is if you like, wow, we have a lot of people coming. We're playing in foursomes at the mm-hmm. great course, but pace of play could become an issue really quick. It so, is, and I mean, I mean, I could torpedo down this real quick. I mean, tournament golf is is certainly a slightly longer game than playing on a Tuesday casually with with buddies i mean it it just is i mean tigers tigers round at the masters on thursday took five hours and 20 minutes and they played as a as a threesome i mean i not to um not to uh you know get after not not to like make excuses for pace right but tournament golf is just a longer game oh totally especially Um, if you're not accustomed to playing it right right and like a, a lot of people that Playing a tournament, maybe that they don't often play. They're much more nervous. Mm-hmm. They're plumb bobbing. They're doing yeah. weird stuff that yeah. they wouldn't do. Otherwise. Well, you got the chance to win money too. I mean, so there's something on the line for guys. Absolutely, yeah. you put a dollar on the line, and all of a sudden, you're right. Plumb bobbing is is very. <laughs> it happens. I need uh, someone to explain to me what plumb bobbing is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but we, because of the fact that I mean, you know, shotguns are a little bit more controllable. We kind of have a bit better feel for exactly what it's going to take. Our goal um, is that you're playing golf for four hours and forty five minutes. So if you're a B group on 15 and you have to drive a certain ways to your to your your tee box you have to wait for a little while until you can tee off and you have to drive back yeah it's you're going to be on the course a little bit longer than that but our goal is four hours and 45 minutes of golf that's pretty solid and and do you usually stick to that pretty well Uh, yeah i mean of course depends on weather and stuff Depends on the weather depends on the course like there are certain course setups that that just will beat you up i mean if you have long difficult par threes after a short par four it's going to back up yeah. so like there's yeah. some there's certain things with course design you can't control uh but that's our goal um we do as i kind of mentioned leave unsold tee times there um we we I, I'd, I'd hate to say it we turn players away for pace i don't hate to say, i mean it is a, it's a good thing right you don't you'd rather have the 248 players saying that was a great experience and four people say man i wish i would have got in then jam them in and Make and piss everybody off. Right, four forty so, turns into five twenty. Yeah, real fast. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we we have so we do that. It's a double shotgun. Um, because of our size, the competition is incredible. Um, we we don't set. I mean, we we don't set static flights, but they're all flighted. So we have six flights. You're paying out net and gross. There are a lot of times where you would pay, uh, where players pay more the next day than they do to play in our tournaments, and we'll have a six to seven thousand dollar pot um and so i mean it's 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 a it's it's fun i mean it's they're they're like it's good competition it's tough competition you don't generally have the same people winning every single week which you want uh or three weeks we generally tend to be about it we go every weekend but we're about every three weeks in each spot that we're in so that we're not over we're not it's not overkill um but like the competition's really good yeah. And so like, it, like taking that Langdon Farms tournament um, as an example. So what's the entry fee to get into that? Uh, it was 85 for Langdon this weekend. And if I'm just playing Langdon Farms on a late 
April Saturday if the tournament wasn't there. What's the green fee? Not the same. Yeah. Close to it. So so then you guys are able to kind of like by quantity be able to go in and negotiate a lower green fee rate, which it, which allows you to then bake in some prize money. Yeah, I don't really negotiate. I mean, it's uh. not like I'm not price guy. It's I, I always tell people it's more important. I, I, we need we need the players to be happy. We need the course to be happy before we're happy. So. Yeah. I don't negotiate price. I just say, hey, what's it going to be? And we figure it out with the golf course. Wow. Like, um, And, of I course, mean, once you have a relationship, you know, the next year you're in and it's yeah, even less conversation. Over yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's important that, you know, you can t- there there are exceptions. Like, you know, if, if you're playing Pebble Beach or Witch Hollow, it's not going to be in the same range. <laughs> yeah. But but it is important that we keep everything in a, same, in a similar range because if you have one event that's $60 more than the rest of the season – you're doing that course and the players a disservice because people are going to go, yeah, I'll skip that one and just go to the next one. So, uh, you know, Chambers Bay is one of our best partners up in Seattle, and uh, we're able to do that twice a year. And we don't we don't go in and say this is like this is what it needs to be. We just say, hey, like we want to host an event with you. Let's let's make this work, and it generally does. Yeah, um, we've had to walk away from courses before, and that's okay, um, just because it didn't fit kind of the the range that we're used to, I guess. Travis, does it does it seem like the one of the biggest draws to joining Northwest Golf Guys and playing is the affordability of it and wh- and what you get for what you pay? Because to me, it seems like if I had the choice of playing Langdon Farms or any other course for eighty five bucks by my with my with you guys mm-hmm. just on a random Saturday, or I could play in a tournament that's well run where there's prize money, I can meet some new folks for the same cost, it seems like it's an absolute no-brainer. Is that kind of one of the selling points, you think, to the... I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I like to think we're the best deal in Portland, but uh, we're also, like, not... I mean, we're... Yeah, it, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because it seems like that, that to me, if we if you were to pull your members, like... That's probably the the draw of playing courses that you don't get to play otherwise. Mm-hmm. Either from you just don't think of it, or you just can't because it's you a don't private have the club. Access to it, yeah. But then, like a close second in my mind would be like it's a well run tournament. It's scored like it's it's there's competition to it. Like it's you real said. golf. You got a chance to win it some money. Seems at the like end of the day. people yeah. would be like, like, what's the catch? I'm all in on this. Right. It's such. I mean, and that's why the first time you play in one, I remember I you know, people try and tell me go play, go play, and I got to know you, and I showed up. And it was so much fun. The first time you're like, I need to do this more often. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there. Once you get a taste of it, it's like, all right, now I can see it. Now I understand it. So you guys go. I know you go to Bandon every summer. Mm-hmm. You did Pebble Beach for the first time last year. Yeah, we're doing it again. And you're doing it again this year. You got Pinehurst coming up in October. October. Are you playing number two? We're doing two for the cradle, and we do an optional Friday round. Um, That's at Tobacco Rug. Cool. Golly. It's going to be – I mean, yes, we do that. I mean, we have – uh, we do Central Oregon every year. Too. Central Oregon, yeah. We're taking 160 players over over to to play Pronghorn and Tethro in May. Um, we are working on some new ones. So give me the bucket list. Give me the two or three bucket list ones. Cause I, I mean, you guys are teasing like St. Andrews come up, like, give me, give me, I mean, the, give me the teasers. I'll, yeah. I mean, I'll say like, you know, going overseas, going to Scotland, Ireland is, is a big one. Um, Sand Valley actually is like one that we're, we'd absolutely love to do. Um, you know, we've looked at Stream Song. We've looked at some other one. Like it's it's usually has to make like Tory. Tory's a big Tory one. Tory Pines, yeah. Um, that we haven't done yet. That we're that we're looking for forward to to probably doing at some point. Coeur d'Alene, like a lot of it's local. Like Coeur d'Alene would be awesome. Yeah. And then um, if you go to those places around the country, is that 
folks from the Northwest that travel there, or are you going to promote that in those local markets? No, we don't promote them in the local markets. We do promote it outside of just the Northwest too. So we promote it to the Bay Area players. We promote it to the Seattle players. So uh, we do promote it to like our whole network. I don't, Seven thousand people. I hate people. the word network. I, our whole your group, empire, our whole, man. Our whole member <laughs> membership. That's yeah. a better way to put. There's certain buzzwords. I just it, network is one of those I just can't stand. Our <laughs> membership. We do promote it to all of them. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing the pictures from you guys down at Pebble last year, just looking like, oh, my God. It was fun. These guys are all down at Pebble. <laughs> so where where does – start in 2007, you turn into a tournament series a couple of years after that. You've slowly been building. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you want Northwest Golf Guys to be in 10 years, five years? Uh, do you, my, my goal in life is to go – is to become Anthony Kim and just <laughs> – what, one day retire? Show, one retire and one day show up at charity events like once every three years with a huge beard. <laughs> Has he shown up? I, I don't even, I feel like no one's years. even ever seen him. No, I, I joke. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, you know, well, obviously like new markets are, are something that we've talked about. Like you know, LA was, is one that, that it immediately comes, or just SoCal immediately comes to mind. Um, well, isn't there a SoCal golf guys? Or is that still in the works? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it, yes and, and yes. Um, yes, it's been around, and yes, we're talking about it um, again. Um, you know, I would love to do Vegas. Like, going to Vegas a few times a year would be fun. I great think golf people, destination. It's great golf. Like, I mean, I, I'd love to do that. I'd love, Denver would be fun. Um, you know, I, the, next, the next thing is just more markets. I had yeah. Phoenix we've looked at. Like, that obviously kind of... And so you would take the Northwest Golf Guys flag and plant it in those cities and establish a local presence there, right? Yeah, similar to what we've done in the Bay Area, yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't, we didn't, the Bay Area happened because we had a player here who lives here part time and lives there part time and was a member of a club and just said, hey, this guy doesn't want to do anymore. Do you want to take it over? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Sure, we'll do it. Uh, (laughs) It's it's, uh, Alameda Golf Works, Uh, it's based in Alameda. Great, great golf shop there. And uh, he was just like, yeah, I'm, I run these tournaments for people. Like he would give them one week notice and say, hey, we're going to go play here. And do you want to take it over and do it a little bigger? And I was like, yeah, abso- absolutely. So that's where the Bay Area came from. Um, we absolutely lean on, lean on our um, relationships with the golf associations. Um, do you have, are you pretty cozy with the OGA, Barb Trammell and those folks? I'm on the board. So, At the OGA? Yeah, I'm an oh, executive nice. committee member of the OGA. And so, so the, doesn't the OGA have the OGA tour? And so do those mm-hmm. are those do those compete against each other or are they just kind of different really. animals? They're just different. I mean, there's yeah. our, the OGA tour is Mondays and Fridays. And so um we I mean, they're are they similar? Sure. Um, but they're but, not so similar that they don't want you on their board. I mean, that says a lot that they would ask you to come on and be on their board, right? Yeah, yeah. We've that I, must that must make you feel pretty good. We do a lot. I, I've, and I've, I think I've been on for five, six years now. So yeah, we do. I mean, I I'm very, very, very close with, I, and and really, it's not just o, the OGA. Like we're we've become very close with uh, Wa Golf, um, which is the used to be the uh, Washington Golf Association. They call it Wa Golf now. The PN, which is also the PNGA. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty tight with the ncga we've done some work with the scga so i mean i'm my portland's home so i would say it's the i'm the, absolutely the closest with the oga also just being on the board i do the most with them but uh we're i mean we have great relationships with all of them so those state golf associations you mentioned uh, why is it important to have great relationships with those folks um i just think that they're so revered around uh, in the golf communities i think that 
that's what everybody knows. Um, and so if, I mean, in theory, we could start a club everywhere with them and never talk to them. Um, but like as getting to know them, like they, they, they're, they're never over pushing us like compared to anybody else. Cause that's not, that's not what they do. Um, but, uh, by having relationships with them, it just, there's some legitimacy, I think there. Yeah. And also just their network, right? I mean, if you yeah. if you need help promoting something or getting the word out there, if if you have a great relationship there, just standing right there by you. Yeah, I mean, like we run a uh, we run a tournament series in conjunction with Wa Golf now. So like our our tournament series is under their uh, it's called their Play for our um, Golf for Everyone flag. So they have this like side thing um, that kind of promotes tournaments, and we were the the. Um, flagship for that program to get it off the ground so we're a part of that and by being a part of that we I mean, they help us essentially grow the mm-hmm. series all right travis we'd like to close these up with a little segment we call driver off the deck okay so we're yep. just fire quick quick you know uh you know word association quick answers here it could uh, be you you, we, you might top it you might smoke it 280 <laughs> that's why it's driver hook off one the ob deck. Yeah. doesn't matter cool. you never know home course and what's your handicap Oh boy! Uh, if I had to name a home course, Pumpkin Ridge and handicap, I'm a 16 because I do not play golf. <laughs> that's so funny. Really? I watch other people play golf. I mean, I have kids, and he yeah, works yeah, in the golf business, and that's golf. when that's yeah. true. That's I hear play. that all the time. I gotta yeah. be so I do have to like be dad when I'm not on the golf course and be a good husband. So I, I try good and uh, <laughs> I try you, and be man. a good husband and a good dad when I'm not playing. What's your favorite public course in Portland? I have to go pump. Oh man, I not. I, Is it like picking your favorite child? I mean, you're at all of them so of, often. In Portland, just like in the Portland metro area. area. So like Pumpkin, I'd say Pumpkin counts. Langdon, probably the two okay. Stone. Probably if I if I had to pick, like I really can't necessarily. Shahalem Glen, I love. So I'd have to say one of those. That's OG, a good choice. I'm naming them all. I'm just yeah. naming every single golf course in Portland. I'm still scarred. I played in your Shahalem Glen event last year, and I played the worst round of golf yeah. of my life, and you I'm still scarred. Gearheart, if I can extend it out a little bit. Gearheart, sweet, Gearheart yeah. Uh, favorite private course in Portland. Or Portland area, um, which? Okay. Yeah. What about the most underrated, one that you don't think gets enough credit? And this kind of goes back to what you were talking about when you used to rate courses at mm-hmm. the very beginning. I loved your angle of like every course brings something, and so what is it? What is a course in Portland that you think brings something that's really cool that doesn't get enough credit? Stone. I think Stone. I mean, it's just like what you can get at Stone Creek. I think is unbelievable yeah we've highlighted them a lot so mm-hmm. far on the pod we gotta uh, clip that and send it to peter yeah we'll send that to peter yeah <laughs> eight iron eight iron eight iron uh, most enjoyable round you've ever played um uh, gosh i i mean can i say i mean uh, let's the non-pebble um <laughs> you can the, go pebble the, yeah, i, mean, I, don't know I how mean, you top pebble that was like to pl- who i play with they you know play with you know zach and odie and connor who are just incredibly close friends to play pebble for the first time i was giddy i was jumping up and down I mean, that, and then uh, I'll just real quick, I'll throw a fivesome that we played at Bandon one that night when nobody was there. It was like a Sunday replay. Just one of the most fun rounds of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You you talked about that dirt playing Sheep Ranch where you felt like you were the only round, There's nobody out there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Those only are some of my best memories from working there was when you're. it's just you and nature and your buddies. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Does it get any better than that? No, it does not. Yeah. <laughs> what about the best golf advice you've ever received? Specific to golf. <laughs> um, I, we met with, um, so the Geldwin used to be at Crosswater. We met with the guy that was running it at the time. Um, 
Evan Byers. I mean, for some, I don't know why he met with us. He didn't need to. And he said, what are you guys doing this for? And we said, we love golf. And he said, if you love golf, sell insurance. Don't do this. That's uh, what I do. <laughs> that's why you're selling yeah. insurance now. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I got out of the golf business because <laughs> yeah, I wanted golf. to be happy. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. And sure enough, like I watch other people play golf. Um, so that that was probably it. That's cool, man. It's funny coming from where you were, too, to start this whole thing, looking for angles to play free golf to now where you're at, where yeah. you're like, I don't need to play that much. And you got a clothing brand and a sim house and a 7,000-member league. <laughs> my, uh, just to, to throw this shout out, my wife is actually the brains behind the clothing operation. And uh, I keep – I mean, sh- like the stuff is amazing. So go check it out. There Who you did go. your logo? Uh, it was designed by a 16-year-old kid. Um, it was a high school marketing project for a Loa high school – and they didn't use it. And a couple years later, he said, do you want this logo? And I said, sure. And then he redid it like four years later. And I think I paid him in a t- – I bought him a TV. Um, and so like that <laughs> was so – that's sweet. Yeah, it was made for a high school marketing project by a 16-year-old kid. Do you keep later. in touch with him anymore? Yeah, a little bit. That's cool. Yeah. That is so badass. Well, Travis, dude, this was fun, man. Continued yeah. success. Thank you. For people who haven't checked out Northwest Golf Guys, go play in the tournaments. It's totally worth it. Check out the Sim House. You mentioned the apparel, 7,000 members, awesome trips that you guys are planning in the years to come. Continued success, and thanks for hopping on the pod. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Travis, man. That was that was so fun. I, I think what stands out, Eric, to me about stuff like this with Northwest Golf Guys is, uh, sorry for the mini rant here, but what I love about them and what I love about what they do, and this is what I love about golf, is that I feel like we grow up and we play sports, and you, you golfed at a young age, and you played golf in high school, probably could have played golf in college. For a lot of us, you know, for if you're growing up an athlete, you play baseball, you play basketball, you play football, and maybe you play golf with buddies on the weekends or some summer stuff here or there. It, it, it really, for a lot of us, and this is, I'm just including myself and, you know, basically saying everybody's like me, but I think there's a lot of people like me that you don't end up getting into it until later in life because there becomes that hole of you, you don't compete in anything anymore. Like there's that gap in your life of I don't have anything to compete in. And when I, you know, I, I love golfing for that reason, because the older you get, it's really the only sport that you can get better at first off, totally. that you can compete at a high level, that you can play in tournaments for money, that you can you know wager with friends, whether it's just you and a buddy that are competing or whether it's you and yourself competing against the course for a new record or a low career score or you're entering a tournament with the Northwest Golf Guys and a chance I saw at the major uh, tournament they had that we mentioned at Langdon Farms, the winner took home over $1,000 this weekend. Like, that's badass. And everybody else behind them, you know, that, that placed in the top 10 or whatever took home like 200 bucks. Like, to, to have the chance to do that, I think it really scratches an itch for people that, that miss that, that we compete for our entire lives and then all of a sudden our sports careers are over. And it's like, well, where is that outlet for me? And for me, getting older, this is why I love golf. It is golf. And that's why when I found the Northwest Golf Guys, it was like, man, this is perfect because I haven't won any money in their tournaments. I've actually played horrible in the majority of the ones that I played no in. No net money yet. No net money for me yet, but I still love going to do it because it's, you know, it's it, the emotions of every shot. And who cares about $200? But you know what, Dan? I care about two hundred dollars because I won that with my golf game, and so that's what I love about it. All, all of a sudden, those four <laughs> footers actually matter. A funny story on that: I played in a Willamette Valley tournament. It's one of the another reason I love it. We talked about it with Travis: is you get to play courses you can't usually play. I love Willamette Valley, and so every year I look for it on the schedule. When's their Willamette Valley event? And I sign up for it so I can go play the course. I shot an eighty-one last year. Pretty nice. good round. Yeah, I'll take yeah. that low eighties. I missed five putts inside four feet. Damn, five putts inside, like just. 
handshaking, like, yeah. you know, birdie putts, par putts, just blowing holes, man. Well, and <laughs> to expand on that, and I, I'm with you on, like, being kind of scratching that competitive itch, and it's a great outlet for that, especially as we get older and the sports that you used to be good at are just distant memories, and you're never going to be that good, nor will you ever be. <laughs> I'm not playing football anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, and so, that, like, what do you then have for that outlet? And golf is a great place for that. What, what I, I think the reason, the hole that Travis and the team at Northwest Golf Guys are filling is all those people who want to scratch that itch, but for whatever reason, they're not a member at their men's club at a local course. They're certainly not a member at a, at a private club. Or even if they are, they're, they just want to kind of spread their wings a little bit. I think golf has a way of making us very insular with we play with the same people, we play at the same course, it's convenient, we totally. know about it. Because there are some, some barriers in golf that are kind of intimidating, and you're not, as, you're not necessarily as interested in branching out there because you don't want to figure out what it all means and like just kind of to deal with all that stuff can be kind of a pain. So we always just end up playing with, at the same place, right? <laughs> right? And that's why this is such a great platform for those people to be able to scratch that competitive itch, hit four-foot putts that matter, and then also, like you said, get to play at some courses that they wouldn't play otherwise. And all of a sudden, it just sort of opens you up to um, stuff out there that you never saw, which I think a lot of people love that. When, they, when you go through that and you have fun, you know, you hit some good shots and bad shots, but you, you're able to kind of get out there and mix it up. It can be pretty fun. I also related to the story of they launched and he launched as basically a golf course review place so that they can play free golf and get comped golf rounds. Because I think the number one question I get from people about this podcast is, are you doing this to play free golf yeah, somewhere? Same. And I haven't so far, and listeners are waiting on you here, we haven't gotten to play any free rounds of golf yet, damn it. Where are our Waverly members? I'm trying <laughs> to get out there and play, man. So I, I can relate to that because we get that question quite often. Well, and <laughs> It's crazy to think that the humble beginnings of Northwest Golf Guys, that it's fun to hear stories about how any any business, like where it all began. Yep. And just to hear about Travis is from the Portland area. Um, he just loved golf, didn't really know what to do about it. So he thought, hey, there's a little opportunity here to write some course reviews and take some pictures. And, and that just sort of morphed into the next thing. Their first event was at Heron Lakes, Great Blue. They're working with Ross Liggett and... I mean, it's like, it's funny to just picture that, right? And it's a small group of people. 20 guys showing up. Tag. <laughs> and I think a lot of us can probably relate to that to some extent, whether we're a friend who created a little, uh, just a, a fun hit and giggle beer league, so to speak. But that's one thing to take it to that level. But then how Travis has been able to take it to the next level and the next level and the next level is pretty remarkable. And he's such a humble, cool dude to talk to. I mean, he's one of those guys that you'd want to have a beer with. So I feel like their future is bright and hopefully we can be a part of it in some way. 7,000 members and Travis has done a great job. Him, Zach, all the guys over there that have built that thing up. And for those of you who have not been to the Sim House, Go check it out. Including myself. I've never been. So we got to get you out there. State of the art. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. Whether you want to go play a course or just do the range feature and just dial in some yardages and that kind of stuff. And uh, you could take a couple of beers with you and just kind of sit, run out the different bays. And there's even for the Golf Guys members, and you know this if you're listening and you're a Golf Guys member, but they have certain memberships, things that you can buy where they give you a key. And you can basically come and go as you please at midnight on a Friday night. You want to go have a good time with some buddies, go play 18 at Pebble, and you're just hanging out there with a simulator. So it's a really cool feature, and the way that they've grown is awesome. And I think that's one of, you know, and you talked about it really eloquently in that, that first episode we did, or episode zero, if I will. Just about telling local stories, man. This is a local guy, grew up in the area, grew up in Beaverton, started this company. They got 7,000 members. They're trying to branch out to Vegas now and, 
you know, Phoenix and who knows where they go from here. But uh, the sky is the limit, and it's really cool. So thanks again to Travis for hopping on. That was a lot of fun uh, to get to talk to him. The other local gambl- or gambling, golfing angle that we've had our eyes on are the, is the LIV tournament coming to Pumpkin Ridge. Now, if, if you miss it as a listener, we had Peter Jacobson on on the last episode. He basically told us he doesn't think it's happening. That's, a, that's a, an opinion that you and I agree with. We did get some interesting news this week. As local product, which I did not know, local product, Robert Garrigas, who won a state championship at Crescent Valley High School, of all places. And Crescent, he bounced around high school, He too, did. Right? He went to Forest Grove and Centennial and then ended up playing, I believe, at Scottsdale Community College. He has become the first PGA Tour player that has requested a release from the, the tour to play in a Saudi-backed event. Now, the article does not state what event, what LIV event it is. And it's got to be Portland, right? You would imagine. There's eight events on the schedule, so it doesn't, it doesn't list that, but you would think probably the local one. And this is essentially going to set up a legal battle, and maybe that's an episode we can get to later on where you talk to a lawyer of I like was say, get an antitrust. Like, I don't even know where you're going with this because essentially to boilerplate it, PGA Tour golfers are viewed as independent contractors because they're allowed to make money in different ways and all that. And so that's the LIV Tour's argument is that you can't tell these guys what they can or cannot do when they're away from your tour. And the PGA Tour has, of course, threatened, we're going to ban you for life if you play in any of those events. So here comes the ensuing legal battle, and we'll see how it plays out in the courts. But it does throw a little bit of merit to the question of, hey, who's playing? Well, I guess Robert Garrigus yeah. wants to play, so there's one. And Peter thinks it's going to be him and, and you and me, right? So they have four. Right. We got four now, right? And we're playing for how much? $25 million? $25 million. It's not bad, yeah. man. So doing those – so, like, we have a pretty good shot of winning, like, several million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm going to finish in fourth place in that bunch, <laughs> and I'm, I'm taking home at least $2 million. I'm cool with that. But it's, we know some members out there. We've had a chance to talk. So I just – you know, I'll, I'll pique your interest. And in, in what are you hearing? What are you – what are the folks saying that you're talking to about that? that event and how they're feeling about it at Pumpkin Ridge. Yeah. So it started out with, there was some reaction to like the immediate knee jerk reaction from some of the people that I've talked with out there was that this is, this is bad. They're hooking up, they're hooking on with a, um, a Saudi group that has, they're trying to whitewash their, their trials and tribulations, their, their background. It's not, it's not a good look. Um, I'm out. In fact, that Pumpkin Ridge, I think lost some members. But I also heard that they gained some members from kind of some of the publicity or maybe just having nothing to do. It was just a coincidence that they got new members. But I've heard that their membership numbers are pretty much net net flat from this whole thing. But the vibe that I've heard consistently is that's surprising to me is how kind of subdued it is out there. I've been around some PGA Tour venues in the run-up to the actual tournament. And I've been to, I was actually at, I was at Harbor Town. It's funny that tournament mm. was just this this week. I always forget weekend. they give the winner a jacket. That threw yeah, me off. Jacket. Whenever I see that at the end, I'm like, oh, that's right, a jacket. There's a lot of jackets <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Um, I was at that. I was at Harbor Town at Sea Pines Resort. Um, I want to say it was three months before that tournament. So this is like in January one year. And I I kid you not, there were so many workers running around, like just working on little stuff, big stuff. Grandstands were starting to go up. Like, there was a lot of activity getting ready for that tournament. And that was, I want to say, at least 90 days ahead. 60 to 90 days. And so here we are. It's, so it's the first weekend of July. So when this is published, it'll, we're going to be like two months away. Like 60 days. Damn near close to And it, yeah. I've heard that there's really not a whole lot of activity going on out there. I'm sure there is. You know, they're painting some side of the clubhouse or you know, 
getting some shingles updated, whatever. But there's not like to the extent that you might expect like a PGA tour venue to have. So that just kind of makes me scratch my head. Like, do they even think that this is going to happen or are they starting to bet? Like we've, we think that it's just not happening and which is just a weird kind of limbo position for us to be in. So now we're just kind of gossiping about what may or may not be. Um, it's, it's kind of a weird deal, man. And if this was just like a corn fairy tournament or some little thing, maybe we wouldn't care as much. But the fact that it's this huge conglomerate that's backing it, um, it just shines a really bright light on the tour in general. And then when it's coming to Portland, you can't help but wonder what it would mean for the community, the surrounding area, the economic impact, you know, all the people that would be involved in running that, how many fans yeah. will be there. And just all those are such big question marks looming. It's like, at what point will we have visibility to that stuff? Yeah, you know this better than anybody, too, of your time in the golf world and traveling around of just the infrastructure that it takes to put on a golf tournament. It's crazy behind the scenes. The number of volunteers, the number of workers, the grandstands, the, just the, the traffic, the parkers, the attendants. The, I mean, it just you're talking thousands of people that need to be hired and ready to go. And obviously, Pumpkin has the infrastructure somewhat in place because they did it with the Corn Ferry Tour for years. And it's a bummer that that tour is now gone, or that event, I should say. The tour is not gone. That event is now off. Or the, or the Corn Ferry Tour, but it's just it, you would think that there would be more buzz around it a little over two months out than what we're hearing. And I, you know, we've talked to Peter. You and I have shared our sentiments that we don't really necessarily believe it's happening. And I think you're, the members you're talking to and the ones that I've heard from are saying kind of a similar thing that they were pissed at first because why would you drag the name through the mud like this? You're raising the rates. Okay, that's not great. But at the end of the day, I don't think many of them believe that this is actually going to take place. Yeah. And so they think after you get through the fallout and once the schedule is maybe nixed and they say we don't have enough golfers, then you just go back to life as, as usual. Uh, but then it begs the question, were you just in it for a, you know, a check from the Saudis for you know, a finder's fee or whatever you're getting, and then you're just throwing it into the general fund and moving on with your lives? It's like, eh, it's not great for your reputation, so I question that strategy. But that's the sense that I get is that I think everybody out there that I've talked to, they were pissed, they were livid at first, and then it's kind of calmed down because nobody thinks this damn thing's going to happen. Yeah, it's just kind of background noise. Yeah, at this point. So we'll see where it goes from here. And um, it, it should be noted that you have reached out to Escalante uh, we've reached out to Pumpkin Ridge trying to get somebody to come on and give us a quote and just hear from them, and we're not getting anything back. So Maybe because we're small, but maybe because they don't have anything to say. <laughs> That's true. I mean, maybe a combination of both. Usually, you, you know this better than me, but usually in the media PR world, stuff gets out when somebody wants it to get out, Yeah. right? And the fact that they don't really have much to share, um, that that to me tells me, my first thought is that, we're small potatoes, which is very fair. We are small you know? potatoes. But but then I also think that that it probably also means that they don't really have anything to say. And the fact that the tournament is two months from now and they don't have anything to say is unprecedented in terms of hosting a, a big-time golf tournament. Yeah. Again, if we were talking about a, a really small thing um, – Maybe some of the the details, you know, they just don't have staffing to, you know, handle all the stuff. And so, therefore, we'll give them a pass on, like, hey, they're kind of botching, like, kind of the PR side of this. But you'd think that with that much money on the line, with how big of a story this has been to come together, that if they had stuff to talk about, that they would be able to easily right. distribute that. You would think so, man. It is weird. That's, it has been weird since the day it was announced, and it has not changed at all. Nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. We're going to stay on it, though. We'll see if we can find info 
and we're going to continue to talk to members out there and, and keep an eye on the Robert Garrigas thing. I don't, I, I know nothing about the legal argument that they're making about independent contractors. Not even going to try and uh, pretend that I know. And so we'll keep an eye on that and see where that goes. But good, good for Robert to be the first domino to to fall on that. Dude, and also, it just so I, happens that he's a Portland guy. I also, is, you know, like I, I've heard from some or like seen interviews from some of those guys, and I can't blame a Robert Garrigas at all for this. I can't. I agree. Because you're talking about playing in tournaments with a $25 million purse with a guaranteed – you're taking home guaranteed money. You miss the cut, you shoot a 97. You're taking home money for that tournament. If you're, you're – you want to retire early, you're not cutting it on the PGA oh, Tour. And, money. like, dude, you're offering me that? Like, I can't – I would probably do the same thing if I'm in his shoes, man. Like, I've won one career tournament. You're telling me I can take home, like, $10 million in the next two years and just walk away? Hell, yeah, I'm well, taking that opportunity. Well, and Maybe he knows in the back of his mind that it's not happening. Very true. But tr- from, yep. a, from a brand management standpoint, Robert Garrigus has a lot less to lose than a – a Justin Thomas or a Rory McIlroy, exactly. Jordan Spieth. You know, those guys have to be really careful about what they commit to, what they talk about. Um, and whereas Robert Garrigus, bless his heart, and I'd love to have him on the podcast, actually. <laughs> I would his too, His name before this happened was on my list of guests. It would just be fun to hear about. Local guy? About Centennial High School yeah. and winning the state title. So, but. wild. Robert Garrigus, the first one to do it. How about the local tie-in on a local golf podcast? We get to talk about Robert Garrigus today. Okay, um, let's get to this. So, we, we have come up with a new game. And you, I, I shouldn't say we. You have come up with a new game. You're the game creator on this show, and I love it. So, you're coming I up with like new ideas. I just like throwing stuff on a whiteboard and just see what sticks. Like, in these first kind of three, four, five episodes, I'm just going to keep spouting stuff. And then if one of them hits and the rest of them are trash, that will <laughs> be considered success. Okay, so let us know on social media, at Grip City Golf, which of these do you like, which of these do you not like. But I will let you introduce the But Why segment of the podcast. All right. <laughs> so, I started... And this was kind of actually inspired by when we were talking on our on episode zero about one rule in golf that we would change. There are some things about golf that, to me, are just kind of weird. Like, but seriously, why? Like, why do I have to hit out of a divot? <laughs> and so it just kind of got me thinking about there's a lot of other things that are kind of in that, in that same category. Did you see the Fratelli one this weekend? I don't think so. He hit the ball out of a tree. And somehow his ball got caught up in the moss. And somebody help me out on this on Twitter because I can't. I didn't read deep enough. But so he hit his ball. Got his tee shot got caught in a tree. He hit it out with his driver back into the fairway while it's hanging down from the tree. And somehow ended up getting assessed a two stroke penalty because of what he did. He hit it because of what he did. Now I just saw the highlight and I was like, that's cool. And it went viral on Sports Center. And then I saw later in the day he got some because the ball was moving or where it was placed or I, something like that. Yeah. He ended up getting a two stroke penalty out of it. Yeah. It's like, so ah, that's golf. Yeah. And and that's that's our answer, right? <laughs> right? When you see this weird thing happen, that's our only answer is that's golf. <laughs> and you don't really do that with other sports. So it got me thinking actually watching the tournament at um, Hilton Head last weekend, I was thinking about this question, like why? And that question is because the scores at, at Hilton Head are year in, year out, a little bit low or a little bit higher. The under par is just not as good as they don't score as well as other courses. And it just then you watch coverage and you hear media folks or even just your buddies watching it. Uh-huh. They'll see a golfer struggling on a course and maybe even on Saturday at Augusta when <laughs> scores were really high. Or when we talked about Billy Casper shooting 107, <laughs> there's all these different examples of like when we observe a professional golfer playing badly. My question is, why do we picture ourselves in that situation and <laughs> how much worse or if we would do better than them in that situation? Why do we do that with golf? 
And why do we not do that when we're watching other sports? It's take, a great question. Take, for example, like we're watching the Blazer game. Okay, and let's say just throw a good defensive. Rudy Gobert holds Nurkic to four points. Exactly. Yeah. So let's say that happens. When you see that happen, do you think, "Gosh, man, he's really locking him down"? If I was being guarded by Gobert, I probably wouldn't even score. (laughs) That'd be crazy, (laughs) right? I mean, it's laughable. So why? Because of course I wouldn't. And so nobody does that. Whereas with golf, we always do that. And so it got me thinking: Why is there a double standard where we so easily? transform ourselves into a situation that a professional golfer, the world's best players are in where we think that we can put ourselves in that situation, but we would never consider doing it on an NBA basketball court. It's such a fun. I never thought of that angle because I was guilty of this. You mentioned the Billy Casper score of him shooting a one Oh seven at Augusta, the masters. And my immediate reaction was I would probably shoot a one twenty five. That was my first thought. The second you said that, like, I think I could shoot a one twenty five at Augusta. I could pull that off. Right. Like that's exactly where my mind went. It is. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> So it, it, I think that it just got me thinking. I wanted your thoughts. Like, why, why do you think that people do that? I would say that probably it is because we, we still golf at older age. We still play. And then I think there's a lot of scores that get thrown out there that you'll see that I have memories of having that bad of a round. And I, and I go to that. Like, I put Billy Casper shooting a 107. Like, that's the worst day of that guy's life. It's a horrible round of golf. But I, I have I vivid memories of some of my worst rounds and how frustrating it was and not breaking 100 and how pissed you are. And I, go to, I think it gets back to the, the thing I was talking about from a competitive angle of we, we compete and we play golf later in life. Like if somebody had a rough day on a football field, I haven't played football in 14, like it's been a long 15 years. Like it's been forever. And same thing goes with basketball. Like I haven't played competitive basketball since I was a kid, man. It's been that long. But I still golf. I still play. And I still have horrible days on the golf course. And so if I see somebody having a bad day, my first reaction is I relate to that. I shot a 97 last summer at East Moreland and I wanted to snap my clubs in half. I know what that guy's going through right now. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Because what we're basically doing, and I, and I kind of agree with you that, like, I'm in this boat too. Like, this why question, I ask it of myself as well. I think the reason I catch myself doing it is because I play in competition um, like once in a while. Not very well, but at least I have experience doing that. And so it's easier for me to put myself in that situation, whereas watching an NBA game, I've never done anything close to that. But then, it, but then you go back to the other side of that and say, "Oh, you're telling me that you've played in close to a PGA Tour event, like right. you're almost Augusta as good conditions as them. from like seven thousand yards, <laughs> or you played a course that's similar to Augusta, right. Right. and which is obviously all ludicrous. But maybe that's the reason why I do it. But it just kind of caught my attention because I, I feel like guys that um, are covering the game." They even will drop little like sports center anchors will drop something in there about when they see a bad shot or wh- whoever it is just doing something like a sports center not top ten they might say like oh yeah I did that last weekend looks like one of mine yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <so laughs> like oh you're a scratch golfer now too and so huh? here here's you're a what plus I, two handicap here's <laughs> what I like to just close this one on okay. is next time you see an NBA game and you're with your buddies like let's say you're at the bar <laughs> sure try to drop a little golf like like scenario into that as if you are kind of play the game, right? God, he and, only and scored 11. I'd probably score five. Yeah. Jeez, he's playing great defense on him tonight just to get the reaction. Like what? And see if Excuse your buddies me? buy it or do they look at you like, dude, what are you talking about? You wouldn't score in an NBA game. I, you would not get a shot off. 
And then maybe while you're doing that, if someone does it on the golf side, I'll call them out and say, no, dude, you would not. You're, you're, you're really bad. <laughs> you, you would not, not have shot 107. <laughs> you would have shot 130. You should have responded. When I said I would shoot a one, there's no way I'd shoot a 125 at Augusta. What am I thinking? You would have been DQ'd on six because <laughs> I saw you. You did not put that out, okay? You did not. I thought we were good inside of feet, man. It's inside the leather. <laughs> what do you want from me? I can't make one-footers. So there's our first but why. I love that. We need to stop comparing ourselves to, uh, to professional golfers. The other one is, and I, I love this, the but why and we don't know the answer, but we still want to talk about it and ask the question nonetheless. Why did – oh, yeah, hit it with it. Why? Our first cell phone drop on the show. I love it. But why do they air raid courses? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we need to obviously have a uh, professional come on. We need to get somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about. Because it's, ob- it's obviously every course pretty much does it. They do I'm it. just curious, like – why it has to be done, and what would happen if they if they skipped a year? Because I know as a, as a member at Persimmon, as we talked about at the start, I live very closely to the course. I've been at the range this week because it's still open. The course is closed all week. All week. Airifying. Airifying the entire thing. Yeah. Every fairway, every tee box, every green, yeah. and you you dig out those little those little uh, like rabbit turd looking <laughs> dirt clods, and they just lay in the fairway, and you pick them up slowly. I mean, it takes a while, but it's expensive. It's too. super expensive. And so man. obviously, it's not something they take lightly, and from the the balance sheet perspective. But um, yeah, I just wonder what like. Why do they do that? And what would happen if they skipped a year? Right. Is it just sog over? Can you not? Can your your water not drain at all? I imagine it helps with drainage everywhere. Yeah. But I know it's something that golfers deal with uh, right now. And we actually uh, put out a poll question on this at Grip City Golf. Are you okay playing an aerated golf course? Because that's the follow-up to this. Because you and I drastically disagree on this. Because we randomly somehow talked about this off the air a few weeks back. And you made the comment that you don't mind playing aerated golf courses. And I was, you know, as a country club member, I can't allow that, okay? <laughs> I gasped with my visor on and my white pants. I said, how dare you? Uh, you're okay playing an aerated golf course. So, first off, go vote on the poll question. Could you play an aerated, or will you play an aerated golf course? But you seem to think it's not that big of a deal. So, and... I think there's some qualifiers to this. Like, okay. I'm not going to pay full rack rate and then go out and say, like, let's say they didn't even tell me, and if the first green, it's, it's sodded over. <laughs> right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pissed, right? But if I know going in that it's being airified, and, or it just was a few days ago or whatever, and we were playing at a discounted rate, say, say at Eastmoreland, it, it was 50 bucks normally to play, but at the airification rate, it's 30 bucks. I have no issues with that. First of all, three putts are basically... Like, and you're probably going to play everything inside the leather is good anyways. Sure. because you're picking you know, up. Yeah. A little bumpy. So there's, a, there's just sort of an agreement within the group that those are good. So then you're not really worried about three-putting. So that kind of makes it easier. So you can kind of th- not worry about that. You can kind of think about other things, like maybe the social, the social aspect of it, as you should be anyways. <laughs> right, or, just hanging out, having a beer. <laughs> yeah, or maybe there's just some other part of your game you want to work on. I just think it's a fun deviation from the normalcy of playing golf when – um, everything is supposedly the way it should be. I think it's fine if it's not, especially if it's a little bit discount. I just like when the standards come down, the stress comes down a little bit. Okay, like I can see that calm angle. Down. Like, let's just sort of appreciate maybe what's around us a little bit more than we otherwise would. 
I don't have any issues with it whatsoever. You, on the other hand, I wouldn't go anywhere near a course. That's so interesting. Wouldn't go anywhere near. Now you just did a good job selling it. You did because if I were to play an aerated golf course, I probably wouldn't expect anything out of my round, and maybe I'd play better if I'm not going in thinking I should shoot X or. Haven't you said in the past that some of your best rounds are when your expectations are the lowest? <laughs> that is very like true. One of your that's why you just piqued my interest. I'm like, ooh, that's not a bad point. Maybe I should go play aerated golf courses. Maybe it's just having one or two bad experiences where you show up. I've had a few where I've been that guy that shows up for a golf round and you realize that they're still charging full price. And, and they then didn't you, tell you? And you didn't say anything and you walk out on the first fairway and you're like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay. Well, that's full stop. I totally So that's part you. of it for me. It's just like really. And then some of it, you know, I think some courses do it better than others where I, I think you could probably find a few in the area where it's not – you're still putting, and at least it's still rolling in a general straight line. Yeah. But if you're getting me kind of a, I don't want to say a half-ass job, but not a great job where my ball is going to be bouncing around, what is it, like Plinko? Like, yeah. If I'm putting like that, like it's just then there's no point. I feel like I'm just playing clown golf. Yeah. And you could work on just chipping, I guess. There's things you could try and help out in your game. But that those are the two things that I would say why I would stay away. And that that's another kind of sub question to that bigger question is why are some of the holes big at some places and smaller at other places and they do it during different times of the year i know it seems like pretty much systematically they'll do it like in springtime you know kind of like end of end of march beginning of april we're like in the middle of it right now or on the back end of it i guess but so it all it always happens around the same time of year at least in the pacific northwest but then there's a lot of variation of like what type of verification they do. So I, I would love to bring a superintendent on the pod to help educate us on this because that question of but why do they verify is not me saying that they shouldn't. It no, obviously we know that they done. should. It's right. necessary, right? I, right? I was just curious, like, what exactly, what are the the agronomy impacts of doing it or not doing it. Look at it. that word usage. Look at that. You pulled that one out of the back pocket. I like that. I don't even know what it I don't know what it does. I don't know the impact that it has, but I do know it's important to golf courses. So I went and bought some aerator shoes and I'm gonna aerate my lawn with You mean like with these metal with spikes? With little metal spikes on the bottom. You like hook them up to hiking boots and you just walk around your yard and you you plug little holes. I've heard of people <laughs> mowing their lawn with spikes on. You know, not as many people have like the old classic sure, golf the, spikes. Yeah the click click the click yeah, clacks. But I maybe my dad used to do that when I was a kid, he'd mow the lawn with his foot joys on. That's and not back a bad then, idea. all of them were basically metal spikes. Right. You're digging in a little. But so you're it. saying that you can actually get like, like things to put on your boots. That you are get them for that. You essentially it goes along the bottom of your shoe, and then you strap them up to the top of your shoe, and then you just walk around your yard. I would, love, holes. I would love a hidden camera of dirt <laughs> mowing his lawn and those things. I'll tell you what, when I do it, I will uh, send out a photo on the Grip City Golf account. You can see my spikes and see how big they are. So funny. And then after our, our next episode, I'll, hopefully I'll understand what it's actually doing to my yard because I don't know what it's doing, but it's one of those things. Everybody's doing it. They're your, saying it's good. and so Your yard looks it. beautiful now. It, but it's it's super wet. I think it needs to get aerated, but I don't even know if that's what aerating helps with. But why? <laughs> why do they aerate? We don't know. We'll find out on the next episode. Let's close up with this one on a fun game. You threw two of these at me uh, prior to our show and or prior to taping I should say that got me thinking and so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse them and I'm gonna throw them right back at you and listeners play along again at Grip City Golf we want to know your answers to this would you rather this is the final game of the day would you rather be a member at a country club or a member that was able to play essentially any public course for the same fee 
So let's say, you know, your country club costs $500 a month. That's what your, you know, your month-to-month dues are. Would you rather play at $500 a month at a country club or $500 a month to be able to play uh, public courses in the local area? Like anywhere I want. Anywhere you want. How about I do this? Because I can't give you, like, every course in the surrounding area. I'm going to limit it to the grounds of Portland. Okay. So inside the city limits of Portland. Yeah. So you can't have Stone Creek. You can't have OGA. I got to throw some of them out inside the city limits of Portland. Well, and that the, the wider the net, the more appealing it is. So if you tighten it up to just inner city Portland, I'd probably pick. I'd rather be a member at a club. At a club. There's some, as you know, there's some benefits as, as a country club or yourself, a visor wearing white <laughs> pants guy. That um, There's intrinsic benefits to having a, a country club member, some fringe benefits, so to speak. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> And um, which obviously you wouldn't get no offense to the locker room upstairs in the bathroom at Eastmoreland golf course, but you know, kind of the locker room vibe at a private course, you get that obviously they're the familiar face element of it, Mm -hmm. being able to just put something on your account, like without having to pull your your visa out every time. Um, Like it's quieter. The, like there's all sorts of benefits to being just not any, not even one particular private club or another, but just the benefits of a private club. There's many, right? What I would love about the kind of the other option that if you were to cast that net a little wider and throw like ghost Creek in there or the reserve sure, or certainly sure. stone, stone Creek, Creek OGA. Yeah. Yes. Langdon, Langdon farms. Yeah. I mean, now that, that's technically what Aurora. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So if you were to throw that into the mix, then it becomes a lot more interesting. Because sure, the the um, the cheers vibe when you walk into the bar at a country club of like, hey, everybody knows your name. Um, that starts to kind of go down the list a little bit more of because it's being outweighed by you're playing some really cool courses and really and back to like Northwest Golf Guys. One of the coolest things about playing in that in that tour is the opportunity to play a bunch of different courses. If you were to give me the courses I mentioned, like if I were to kind of stretch it to like a 25-mile radius around Portland, which maybe that's unrealistic, but mm-hmm. just for the sake of this conversation, I I would be really interested. And, of course, the, on the other side, it depends on which private club we're talking about. Sure. But, Everyone's um, different. I, I think that's a really a compelling opportunity to consider just as much golf as you want. The city of Portland did a city of Portland golf card a few summers ago to yeah. try to drive some incremental revenue. And... um I didn't buy one. I had knew some people. It was a lot of retired people that yeah. bought it. Cause I knew a few retired people that got one. Yeah. And they literally played like every single day. And so they got their money's worth for sure. But if you, if you could cast that net out to a bunch of different private courses and, and throw in the Langdon's and the pumpkin ridges of the world, that becomes pretty interesting. I do have uh so first off, my only thought on this, I agree with everything you said the, the, that amount of courses, that's the only drawback to me of a country club is that you're playing one course. And now some of them have the reciprocals where you can go play elsewhere, but that's the drawback, right? You got to play the same course every time. You don't have to, but you're paying that much per month. You're going to want to go play that course more. So the thing, the, the draw that I love the most about country clubs, and I don't know if all of them have it. I'm just speaking from my persimmon experience is the practice area. Having a, having a dialed in practice area is something that you don't often find at your normal run of the mill public course where I know at Persimmon, they got, a, you know, a hole that's about 100 yards long. There's hardly anybody out there. And so you can just go drop bucket or bucket after bucket at 90 yards, 80 yards, 70 yards, 60 yards, all on grass, huge bunkers that surround a green. You can drop a huge bucket into the, you know, into the bunker and just hit 30, 40, 50 bunker shots. Yeah. And that kind of stuff you don't usually get at a totally. public driving range. And yeah. so that's the impact that, that I like there. But that many courses, it does make it tough because that's the only drawback. You want to play more than... Uh, uh, one course all the time. I do have to tell two quick stories. 
So you mentioned we're joking about the visor thing. I've never told you this, but your your look in a visor led me to want to be a visor guy because you're a visor <laughs> guy. You're a visor guy, and I got to tell you, man, it's not easy to pull off the visor look. It's not. You show up, you got you got to know what you're doing when you're wearing yeah. a visor like that. You're coming with a connotation that this guy knows how to golf, <laughs> and your game backs it up. So you're we we started golfing. We've golfed many times over the years. I, I went and bought a visor because you look good in a visor. I inspired somebody. And I looked, I, I looked at it in the mirror, and I realized immediately that I'm not a visor guy. And mm. I own a tailor-made golf visor that has never been worn before, and it just sits in my closet. Can and I it, have it? <laughs> sure. I'll give it to you as soon as we're not taping. You can take it home. Uh, one other quick note, too, on the country club thing. I have to tell this story because it was amazing, and I still am on cloud nine because of it. I was at the range at Persimmon earlier this week because we can't golf right now. We're getting snow and hail, and just it's the worst weather ever. And uh, screw the weather gods because I'm getting pissed. There was an older uh, member by the name of John who came up to me. And I, I'm a headphone on the range guy. I, I just, I, the sound of other balls getting hit kind of throws me off. So I like to kind of zone out. Do you wear a headset like this with a microphone? I should. Just, That'd be kind of funny. Narrate my shot. Like, that was a duck hook left with a six iron. <laughs> but I, So I, I had my headphones in listening to music, and I took them out to go grab a sip of water or something. Or maybe I had a bad shot, and I was, like, pissed. Like, let's take a break. <laughs> Walk away. And I, put, I took my headphones off, and this guy's a couple of bays over from me. And he says, uh, hey, you got, you got a nice swing there, young man. This older guy, probably in his 80s. You got a nice swing. And he asked me if I played college golf. And I'm not lying to you, buddy. I've been on cloud nine for like three straight days. That this, I was like, are you S, Are you kidding me right now? Like, no. So what was your answer? My answer was no, I didn't. Uh, then I kind of regretted not lying about it, being yeah. like, yeah, I won a national title at Arizona State in uh, 2005. <laughs> I should have gone down that road. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. But he was a great guy. And then he put the – boy, oh, boy, did he put the pressure to me. Eventually, a couple of minutes later, he walks over to the other bay and is facing me. And gives me the, can I watch your swing? And I'm like, buddy, this, this is getting kind of weird. This is a lot of pressure here, man. <laughs> like, I get tense teeing off on the 10th hole at East Moreland with a bunch of drunks behind me. You're staring two feet away trying to watch my swing. He watched three driver swings, and I piped all three of them. Did you? And I was like, all right, now I'm feeling good, See, baby. You it. <laughs> it was motivated. Needed a little, little extra heat, you know, a little extra, little extra motivation. So now, I, next time you do that, <laughs> wear your visor, and you'll be, like, on another <laughs> level above. Then he's going to ask me if I was on the PGA Tour. None of I played in college, right, if I wore the visor. So I had to tell those two stories that's hilarious um all right let's close up last one here on the on the would you rather you got one about the masters that i don't know if i'm going to be able to answer would you rather win the masters tournament or all three of the other majors <sighs> so <laughs> you asked us before we started taping and i've been thinking the u.s open is the only one that i would re regret not being able to win I mean, obviously, you'd want to win all of them. <laughs> Who would want to win a major championship? But the, the biggest one you're passing on is the U.S. Open, the American Championship of Golf, the hardest major tournament. Um, the, the, you know, Peter Jacobson at 10 Cup. I want to be that guy, right? That's the hardest one. But I think I would, I would rather win the Masters. The more that I think about it, the prestige that comes with it, and it's not just the jacket. I think it's more so the fact that it's at the same course every year, and it's the only major championship that is that way and the champion's dinner, to be a part of that, to be able to sit in that room with those people and to have that dinner every year, knowing that you're going to be there and having those same conversations and those same memories, I, 
You, you just you don't get that in other majors. Open Championship probably more so than others because it circulates the same small kind of number of courses. But the PGA Championship takes place all over the place. So you'll remember, hey, Tiger won an old whatever, but what course was that again? You kind of forget. Yeah. But when you win in Augusta, it's just special. So I think I would take the Masters. Yeah, I agree with you. And it would be hard to let go of the others. Speaking of the winning the other majors – I didn't know this until later in my career. I've known this a while now, but I didn't realize that if you win the PGA Championship or the Open Championship, you are invited back for as long as you want. Lifetime invite. Lifetime invite, which it was always the Masters that was famous for that, right? Yes. Like that was always a really big deal. That I Jack remember as a kid. until he's 70, right. I just remember as a kid thinking that was so cool that if you win that tournament, you get to play in it every year for the rest of your life. But then here you have these other two tournaments that also have that rule. The British Open or the Open Championship, um, I think once you turn 60, which they changed that rule when Tom Watson almost won in 2008 or whenever that was when, yes. he, when Stuart Sink won it in, um, in that yeah, playoff. That eight, yeah, that last shot that should have been on the green that just took a bad bounce and yeah. he would have won. And so they were going to change the rule if he had won that because at, at that point it was the British Open. You can come back every year until you're 60 years old. And at that time, Tom Watson was, I think, over 60 or maybe 59. So they were going to extend it for a period longer. But that, that's just, I think that adds to the how special the Masters is that even though it has the same rule that the other majors have, the U.S. Open, if the champion gets to play for, I think, 10 years after. Mm -hmm. But the Masters has a similar rule, but... For whatever reason, we just had it in our mind that that made it even more special that you got to go back every year if you're a champion. The fact that it caused us to blank out the other ones and only think about it in that light with the Masters, to me, is just another example of how much elevated above the Masters is in the other majors. It speaks to the power of Augusta. And like you said, like the, the, the champion's dinner, just all the little fine details of that tournament and how special it is to just to get to go to it, yeah, to get to play in it, to and then ultimately win it like it's the pinnacle of the sport and the masters hasn't always been the number one major championship but it's certainly elevated itself to that place and i don't even think that it's close i i mean i think it's kind of arguable like what's the number two major is it the u.s open most people in the u.s would probably say it's the u.s yeah, open international people would say the open championship exactly and then everybody puts the pga in fourth exactly exactly <laughs> and so it, to me it's like the masters and the other three and I think that's an interesting question, but I w would agree with you. I would pick. I would rather win the Masters. Last note on that, too. Uh, shout out to the PGA Tour for changing the schedule and putting the PGA Championship second. Yeah. That was such a smart move. Having that as the last major of the year was always a letdown. Yeah. Unless you had Tiger going to continue a slam or something. That yeah. was the only thing that would bring you yeah, around. Yeah, and is it is it a smart decision or a really obvious decision? I think that they had to it, do it. You had to, yeah. Because yeah. of the weather, it started to get it just like – it just wasn't as fun for the players. They didn't enjoy it as much in August. Like no. Tulsa in August, have you ever been there? It's horrible. <laughs> Doesn't and, sound like fun. Yeah, and so now they can go Tulsa in May. If you look at the average temperatures, it's like, like hey. actually really nice. Yeah, 70 degrees every day or something. You're and, like, hey, And so then bit. also I think that was a factor. The players probably would enjoy it more then. But I think the elephant in the room is – college and nfl football exactly and by the time even like mid-august people are they've they've clicked out mentally of golf and so yeah i agree kudos to them for moving it but i don't think it's brilliant i think it was really obvious that's a and good call that's a good call it was an obvious move it should have probably happened sooner but yeah. it finally happened and it was the right call well look at that that'll do it episode two look at us man 
three episodes down. This is fun. Let's have another one in your kitchen. Hey, when I get my uh, studio built in my man cave in the garage that my wife has kicked me out to the garage, you just wait. The uh, Pumpkin Ridge and Escalante folks, they're going to have to get back to us, okay? We're not going to be small <laughs> potatoes when i got a shop set up out there, all right? It. We won't be in my breakfast den anymore, but this was fun. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode. For all the support, The it has been incredible. It has been fun to see the responses from everybody and uh, the amount of people that are listening. We've had a ton of fun putting this together and going back and forth with ideas. If you ever want to send us ideas or thoughts or comments or criticisms, whatever, just hit us up at Grip City Golf. We'd love to hear from you guys and can't thank you enough uh, for tuning in. Thanks again to Travis Schoen of Northwest Golf Guys. He was awesome. Love highlighting those local stories. Do you want to give, before we go, Eric, a quick little peek? we got some names that were dialed in that were, were not officially with dates yet, but just some guests that are coming here in the next couple of episodes yeah, that we've talked to. Yeah, we've been in touch with Brian Henninger, um, Akbar from Seamus, um, Matt Lemon from Jones Sports, those three guys for sure. Um, and then I have a secret other guest for you that I'll, I'll tell you about later that I think will be really fun. Another okay. like business, Portland golf business professional that has a really cool little thing going on. Perfect. And if you guys, listeners, have any ideas, people you want us to talk to, local stories, let us know, man. We're, we're open. We love telling the story of Portland golf. Why do we got to go? Because, well, that's that's enough for one podcast. But, hey, thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Grip City Golf Podcast. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. I hit it hard, man.